Welcome to The Objective, the history education podcast dedicated to engaging and content-rich ways to transform the history classroom with a heavy dose of material culture and teaching with objects. This episode is all about how I discovered I sucked as a teacher and how I'm trying to turn it around. No, scratch that. This episode is all about the inquiry design model and how it can transform your teaching. Stay tuned. Episode 3 of The Objective. I'm Matt Shoemaker, and this episode is indeed about the Inquiry Design Model, or IDM. So I was at NCSS 2017 in San Francisco when I kept hearing all this buzz about IDM. Now, I never attended a dedicated session on the concept, but heard it mentioned in several that I went to. So I figured out it was connected to the C3 framework issued by the NCSS, or the National Council for Social Studies, but really I knew little beyond that. So I talked to some teacher friends of mine from Summer PDs and from the Twitterverse, and I discovered that many of them were using IDM or a version of it in their classrooms. And suddenly I felt like I had failed as a modern teacher, so why do all these other people know about it? All of these teachers that I know are really good teachers. These are not people just phoning it in, so why are they using it and I'm not promoting more inquiry in my classes? So, you know, after I was alone with my thoughts in foggy Frisco and I accepted my failure of my chosen profession, I decided to do something about it and I vowed to read up on it. And if I found it was really good, I would incorporate it into my classroom during the 2018-19 school year. So if you want to see an overview of IDM, uh, which includes templates and completed inquiries and an IDM generator, how awesome is that, you can visit c3teachers.org. But for those of you driving or sweating it out, here's the basics. So you begin with a compelling question. For example, was the American Revolution revolutionary? And then once you have that compelling question, you align the topic with standards. Now, I like the C3 framework, um, and, and, you know, that's something that that you can look at. But if your school is really strict and they force you to look at, like, the Missouri Learning Standards in our case or the Common Core or whatever, um, that, that works too. You know, you just find what you like and align it to it. So you align the topic with standards and practices that you want to meet with this inquiry. So after you do that, you stage the question. So this is like your hook, where you get students thinking about the question, and you lay the foundation that they will build on over the span of the inquiry. So that's that's kind of like your your big idea stuff that you want that you want to cover, right? So once you have all that, then you can now start writing supporting questions. So most supporting questions are between three and four. Sometimes, you know, I've written two just because, you know, it's, it's a really short unit. It may last just maybe three days and I don't feel like I really need more than two questions in there. But really the, the IDM model is really good with three or four. So once you write supporting questions, you have to make sure that those scaffold, that those build on one another so that you can scaffold student understanding from little or no knowledge of the topic to enough knowledge to answer the compelling question thoughtfully. So keeping with our example about the American Revolution, supporting question one might be, what is a revolution? Supporting question two might be, what were the social consequences of the American Revolution? And then the third supporting question might be, 
what were the political consequences. So we are asking students to identify was the American Revolution revolutionary, but to do that they have to number one understand what a revolution is and then they have to know how the American Revolution affected society and the political climate. So for each supporting question, you're going to write a formative performance task. And that has students use the knowledge they gained in each supporting question. So for our example, maybe you could write a paragraph describing how the lives of Native Americans, African Americans, and women changed after the American Revolution. That would support uh, question number two, what were the social consequences, and it would be a way that you could assess students right there and tell whether they got that or not. So the last really meaty part of the inquiry design model are the featured sources. Now these are primary sources, uh, one to three, of course you can use as many as you need to, that help answer the supporting questions and they allow students to practice the work of historians. So an example might be Abigail Adams' letter to John Adams urging him to remember the ladies while forging a path for the newly separated colonies. So we have talked about what a revolution is and now we're talking about the social consequences and so we might bring in Abigail Adams and uh, as, as a way to see how women were affected um, after the American Revolution or, or during the course of it. So the summative part of IDM ends with the creation of either an argument using specific claims and supported by textual evidence from the inquiry, or it might be an extension task that pushes students to do more with the material or just to provide an alternate way to demonstrate understanding. So think writing an essay versus creating a detailed infographic. Finally, because a major part of social studies teaching should be creating an educated and engaged electorate, uh, the IDM asks students to take informed action through three ways. Understanding the issues, assessing the impact, and then acting. So with our example, our understanding might be they research a proposed tax in the U.S. The assessing might be you examine the benefits and the disadvantages to that proposed tax, and then the acting might be writing a letter to the newspaper editor that outlines support or opposition to the proposed tax. So that part has been the most difficult for me to do, um, and I think it's mainly just because of early America and my topic and some of the inquiry compelling questions that I've been writing. Uh, we have done a few of them, but... I'm really working on trying to get that more uh, solid and uh, put that more uh, kind of a final stamp on the whole thing. So how does this play out in an actual classroom? Well this semester was the first time I've actually tried IDM and students completed three inquiries during our time together. So we did one on pre-Columbian Americas and that question was what determined how well Native Americans and Europeans got along? We did one in the Age of Exploration, which is why do innovations happen? And then we did one on early colonization as were the Americas settled for selfless or selfish reasons. So next semester, I'm incorporating two inquiries that are available on c3teachers.org. Was the Boston Tea Party activism or vandalism? And was the American Revolution avoidable? So if we jump back to the pre-Columbian Americas inquiry, kind of here's how it played out for me. So after I introduced the IDM model, I discussed expectations, I answered questions about the process, and then I presented them with a scenario. So they would be acting as a jury over historical crime. 
So my hook is that I used Bill Bigelow's plan, Columbus on Trial, through the Zen Education Network, and it charged Columbus, his men, Ferdinand and Isabella, the Tainos, and the system of empire with the mistreatment and the murder of the Taino Indians. So I acted as prosecutor, I presented the case, and then I broke students into smaller groups to deliberate as juries, and then finally to deliver judgment on each group. So many students were surprised to hear this version of the Columbus arrival story, so I connected the charges to historical events, and that allowed us to discuss historiography and identity and perception and myth-making. So, you know, it was a nice little bonus that I got to put in there. Now, my first supporting question was, which European cultures met which Native American groups? So to understand why they treated each other like they did, um, you know, we needed to know who was there and who, who met who. So we utilized a jigsaw method with primary source excerpts. We filled in a graphic organizer. That was our formative assessment for that part. My second supporting question was, how did European explorers treat native populations? And then my third supporting question was, how did Native Americans treat European cultures they met? So we looked at both sides, both perspectives, and we utilized that same jigsaw method with primary sources and the same graphic organizer we filled in. So my summative task was a Socratic smackdown, and if that is foreign to you, you can check out episode two of The Objective, and it is all about how to use Socratic smackdowns in class. Um, but this Socratic smackdown was over the original compelling question, what determined how well Native Americans and Europeans got along. So after that, we did our Taking Informed Action segment, and students read an article that came out of... Um, the, the kids' version of, of the New York Times, uh, and it was called Insult or Honor, and um, it was about Native American mascots and whether that is actually an insult uh, to the indigenous people or honoring their culture, their heritage, their contributions. And so after we read that, we had a nice discussion with it, and then students researched local schools with Native American mascots. Missouri has a ton of schools with Native American mascots, um, and imagery and mascots, imagery, names, um, you know, things that they do in their schools, their dances are named certain things, and so, you know, we researched a lot of that, and then students wrote a letter, either in support or in opposition, to a particular school's use of Native American mascots. So, I had worked out a deal with principals at several of these schools, and the letters were all compiled and the best ones were sent off to them to get their responses. So, you know, that's, that's one example of how it played out in my room. And now that it's the end of the semester and I can breathe and reflect on what worked and what didn't, here's what worked and what didn't. So, what worked is that I loved that it was inquiry driven. I loved that it was primary source rich. I loved connecting to modern issues. I mean, kids saw a connection between what they were learning and today. And there was a value in history that, you know, that I've not had really before um, in that particular unit. And so that was, that was fantastic. I really liked having options for students, you know, the summative performance versus the extension. And I like the timing. I like how it worked well within a longer time and a shorter time frame. So this particular 
inquiry we spent about a week, week and a half on. Um, the Age of Exploration, we only spent about four days. And the one on early colonization, we spent about two weeks. So um, you really have a lot of freedom to make these as long or as short as you need to. So what didn't work is that it's almost too formulaic in parts. You do this, and then this builds on this, and then this builds on this, and then that ends with that. So, you know, I like to change things up a little bit, and I don't like anybody telling me what I have to do too much. So, um, you know, that formula is kind of constricting, but if you're just starting out, it's a great way to make sure that you get all of what you need. Um, I also thought it was really kind of difficult to find primary sources sometimes for some of the topics, um, you know, especially early, early America, and it wasn't necessarily that there was this paucity of, of objects or, or sources, it was just that um, the ability to make them understandable to 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know, that was a little more complicated. Um, some subjects also may be difficult to find a connection for the taking informed action, the last piece of the whole puzzle. It may be difficult to find, you know, how you can actually transfer that, so you might have to do some really creative thinking to get that done. And then I really wish that C3 would offer some other options besides the writing component. Because I'm thinking of English language learners and, and my SPED kids that really struggle with writing. Um, I would like to see a little more variety on the actual website. Uh, the ones that are done and completed and that you can download and use. That would be fantastic. So, you know, at the end of the day, will I continue to use IDM? Yes, absolutely. It's forced me to up my game, uh, change the way that I approach planning in my classroom. So yeah, I will definitely, I will definitely use it. So, thanks again for listening to this episode. Um, I would point you to liveamericanhistory.blogspot.com for links to resources that are mentioned here, as well as other issues, um, other episodes of the objective blogs, blog posts, and then of course to ask questions and continue the discussion. Also, I would love to connect on Twitter at M underscore S-H-O-M-A-K-E-R. So thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.